Hello and welcome. I'm Ian Gillies and welcome to the Hamilton Wealth Partners Podcast 46 for July 2020. Today I'm joined by Will Hamilton. Um, Will, whilst COVID-19 has obvious human, social and economic costs, investment markets have largely ignored these. Equities and other risk-based assets rebounded strongly in the second quarter of 2020, followed by a heavy set, following the heavy sell-off of the first quarter. Um, what is the general explanation for this? Look, thank you, Ian, and uh, welcome everybody. Look, this is going to be a long podcast because we believe there's a lot to talk about. So um, I just want to warn you guys on that. Um, but look, Bloomberg columnist John Authors, who I sort of read religiously every day, he said uh, about a month ago that with respect to the US first quarter earnings that we should remember the childhood saying, first, if you can't find anything positive to say, don't say anything at all. And second, do as I say, not as I do. So why did he say this? Because he believes that US corporates are following the first quote, whilst investors are following the second. There's no doubt we're in stage two of the multiple stages of a recession. So this is where the sharp personal impacts are felt. And despite the strong bounce back in equities, uh, it's where the economic economy sorry, grinds to a halt about two thirds of the way up the V and goes sideways. So look, whether we're in a, well, let's not debate whether we're in a V, a U or a w, W-shaped recession, but our view is that the pandemic recovery is gonna take longer than many expect. So well, one or two years rather than a quick five to six month recovery. So what does stage two of a recession look like? So first of all, it's rolling job cuts. So in the last quarter, we saw the ASX listed companies such as Fletcher Building, Meyer, Qantas Flight Centre, GPT, just to announce, a, just to mention a few. Um, announced job cuts. So this pattern will be repeated amongst other listed companies, but it's also gonna be repeated amongst private businesses that we won't read about. As reduced demand, it has an adverse and continued effect on total demand, and this will result in job losses. The second reason is store and business closures. So we've seen um, West Farmers announced their closure of the Target department store business. Now look, Target was performing badly before COVID-19. So that made the decision very easy, but it, it became necessary because of the crisis. So there are other businesses in a similar position to target and they're gonna be pushed to closure as well. The third thing is what we call the rise of the zombies. So the Australian Financial Review has turned them this and, and they, call them, they call them the zombie companies. So the, the phase refers to businesses that have been kept afloat by the JobKeeper program. So this program is an endpoint. We know that since in September, everyone's talking about the cliff. Um, and when it comes, that coupled with the broad environment of reduced demand, it means that banks are gonna cease supporting these businesses. So many of these businesses have probably already been identified by the banks as vulnerable tomorrow. The JobKeeper program may be the only factor that's currently stopping business failure. The fourth reason is, or point, is pressure on lending. So as banks concentrate on risk and asset quality, the availability of credit tightens. In other words, lending comes under pressure. That means the ability to borrow or refinance becomes more difficult. So this creates the issue for weaker companies, it restricts corporate growth, and it may even trigger closure. So look, stage two of a recession is usually the brutal stage. Um, Equity markets are running ahead of the macroeconomic environment. There's definitely a disconnect between Main Street and Wall Street. It's not unusual for markets to rally ahead of the recovery in the real economy, but the gap between the two just looks too wide right now. Will, how are the fixed income markets being affected by these changes? Yeah, look, John Green, who's our expert in this area, is, uh, his view is very much that extreme volatility you saw in the first quarter, 
fixed income markets were more subdued in the second quarter. The 10-year US Treasury uh, is trading within a relatively narrow range, about 70.7%, uh, and the 10-year uh, Australian Treasury is around 0.9%. So as economies start to open up, and some stronger than expected, the data was released, Treasury yields sold off briefly and yield curves steepened, but this was also short-lived. So near term, we think bonds will be supported by central bank buying, continuing nerves about a possible second phase of lockdowns as COVID-19 infection rate rises again, but longer term, the risk appear, risks appear tilted to the upside in yield. Real yields remain negative and likely will stay that way for some time, but eventually total aggregate demand is going to accelerate as we'll talk of inflation returning, at which point a more sustained rise in bond yields is going to occur. So we favour active managers still, relatively short duration as a result. Credit spreads are widening um, dramatically during March, but they regain much of that, so they're compressed, during the second quarter as central banks pump liquidity into the system. Um, in some cases, they started buying corporate bonds directly. Active credit managers who moved quickly were able to buy corporate bonds at really attractive prices during the worst of the March meltdown, and their portfolios have done really well, and actually there's some reasonably good returns in this space. Overall, we're comfortable with the credit markets where it now stands. Um, there are going to be specific bonds which perform poorly, um, mainly because the issuer companies suffer through the current downturn. So like the Virgin bond issue, um, and active management remains key. Thanks, Will. Um, we, we don't normally comment on currency, but can you give an idea of where you see it going? Yeah, look, thanks, Ian. We, we, have, we have actually written about the Aussie dollar in this quarterly. Um, we only usually do it annually, mainly because of the volatility that we saw in the Aussie dollar. We knew it's presently a bit above 68. It got down to 57.40 um, in the lows of March. We have a partially hedged 50% strategy at the moment. Um, as economies open up, commodity prices should underpin the Aussie dollar or even see it marginally appreciate. But we're closely monitoring the risks of a second wave. Um, countries such as China and the United States in particular, if this was to impact the economic recovery, then a renewal of the depreciation of the Aussie dollar is going to occur. If we saw the Aussie dollar fall below 60 cents, we would move to a fully hedged position. Um, on the Aussie dollars, we believe it's going to make ground into the end of 2021. Thanks, Will. Equity markets have had an interesting time recently. What should investors be aware of in these markets? Look, first of all, what we're going through, we haven't seen since 1999, and it's called a melt-up. So melt-up is focused strongly towards technology stocks, and then it brings up these lagging sectors. You know, we saw the banks run one week, just because they lagged, simply, simply as that. In previous melt-ups, a lot of money's been made as markets ran up and they run up aggressively, but when they reverse, even more money is often lost, especially in the sectors that lead the melt-up. Um, City looked at the drivers behind the market melt-up and its implications. I'm gonna let you read some of the, 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 the these more details in our um, printed insight, which is on our website. But basically it's a decoupling of PMIs, a short squeeze, the equity risk premium, the big tech stocks, and then also looking through 20 to 21, equity markets are looking through the dire 20 towards a recovery in 2021. So record levels of stimulus is being provided by governments and central banks, and it's influencing market strength. Um, they're looking at that, they're not looking at what we believe is really important. Uh, so they're looking very much at liquidity, fully compensate for the risk of 
decline from events disappointing or multiples contracting. So in other words, what Howard Marks is saying is the fund fundamental outlook may be positive on balance, but with list listed security prices or equity prices where they are, the odds aren't in the investor's favour. Where we summarise this and where we see it is we're in for a bumpy road. So far, we've seen a real extreme volatility, both on the downside last quarter, upside this quarter. Just because markets bounce doesn't mean this is all over. This volatility will continue in both directions until the realisation of the economic effect on the global economy is clear. So active management, I think, is going to well outperform passive or benchmark management. There will be clear winners and losers from this. And what we're experiencing in the medium term investors are going to be well placed to benefit. So people are asking us, for instance, I've just got off a phone call from someone, should I exit equity markets altogether? Equity markets are going to be volatile. Long term though, equities will be supported because corporate earnings will bounce back, economies are going to open up. Monetary policy will support equity valuations and we believe interest rates will remain low for many years to come. Thanks, Will. What's the outlook for the property market at the moment? Yeah, look, Kane Barano has uh, written this part um, and he can't join us like John Green couldn't either. But look, we commenced the quarter with a neutral position towards property. We favoured unlisted real, real asset exposure over listed REITs um, due to the former displaying lower volatility and more stable in income distributions. And this approach was really beneficial to our overall performance as REITs sold off heavily. Um, Due to government mandated isolation orders in response to the uncertain surrounding of the emergence of COVID-19 and the announcement of the Australian government mandatory code of conduct with respect to SME commercial lending principles. So this policy provided tenants with additional certainty of tenure, reduced landlords enforcement rights for businesses that are eligible for the Commonwealth government's JobKeeper program and have turnover of less than 50 million. So we shifted to an overweight in property in May. We used AREITs to do this. Um, as property values relative to book values and to bonds, they looked more attractive. You've seen increased vac vacancies and a loss of rental income were large factors in valuations and the prospect of lower uh, real yields. That looked to support the sector going forward, but we really are paying close attention to what we need to look at is the structural shifts in office and retail sectors that are occurring as a result of COVID-19. Um, we are maintaining an overweight position at this point in time um, going into the third quarter with a view that REITs are still oversold relative to the rest of the market. The mixed returns on a sector basis due to COVID-19 restrictions, it re this has really reinforced, we think, the importance of diversification amongst not only property location, but also sectors and currency. So our exposure to global real property provided support from a currency perspective, especially in the March quarter. The Aussie dollar sunk below 60 cents, as we've mentioned. Um, and then towards the beginning of the quarter and sector diversification, like areas like healthcare, logistics, multifamily, residential, they all provided strong relative outperformance over the June quarter. Thanks, Will. In looking at alternative assets, um, how do they actually fit in a portfolio? And is there any issues prospectively for them? Look, this is something we have done a lot of work on over the last 18 months and a lot of our portfolios are positioned with alternative assets if it is the right thing for those investors. And these asset classes, they have reduced volatility and they've definitely enhanced returns in our portfolio. Um, they are a liquid. There's a lot of debate that's occurred in the press about the merits of holding such investments. But look, 
we have been all over these guys because there is you know that apparent lack of transparency because they are a liquid we have seen some small write downs um no doubt about it but that's less than what we saw in listed markets and we've also seen in some cases increases in valuations as i said the work we did 18 months ago it looked um, towards allocating to specific asset classes within the alternative asset bucket and determining the appropriate weight, appropriate weightings for each. So while these investments are not appropriate for all clients, as I mentioned before, establishing allocations for each of the alternative asset classes under its own risk category, it's ensured client allocations for each of these has been appropriate. Um, and in hindsight, it's contributed to portfolio returns, it's dampened volatility, and therefore it's reduced portfolio risk. Thanks, Will. In summary, what should investors be mindful of? Look, it's worth repeating that asset allocation is crucial. It's been important in minimising the impact of the current crisis. It's going to be even more vital going forward as centrist and protectionist policies and economies take hold. Surviving stage two of a recession is about having a healthy level of scepticism. Remain focused on economic conditions overall, except we are in a recession. I don't think some people have. Um, you need to plan accordingly. Looking at the virus numbers and recovery, it doesn't consider the broader challenges that COVID has laid at our feet. Risk-based asset volatility at the speed that we're currently experiencing means that tactical positioning is really difficult at the moment. We believe that equity markets did not represent value back in March when you balance for the risk. As we always say here at Hamilton Wealth Partners, investing is a patience game. Let's be clear, no one knows what will happen next or how this is gonna play out. It's important to have a conservative strategy built around asset allocation. Stick to your process, and understand also that the growing level of government debt is going to burden economies for generations to come. Thanks, Will. Uh, as always, if you have any questions or would like a copy of our insight, please call us on 03 9275 8888. I'm Ian Gillies and thank you for listening.